Hi, welcome to Sonic Dorms. This is Max speaking. And on today's show, we're once again speaking to our guest, Phil McDonald of the band Artificial Pleasure. They've got a new album that was released on October 30th, A New Joy. It's their second album. And today we're going to be talking about that album in particular and the ins and outs of it and uh, its progress and what got it to be, uh, what molded it into the record that it now is, that is uh, out there in the ether. So if you wouldn't mind uh, telling us a bit about how it all started for, for you, Phil, in regards to this record, uh, the creative process, if you will. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose since we ended the first one, um, pretty much a month after we sort of released the first album, we decided to, um, we thought we've got to, we've got to get back on this because we know how long these things can take. And already by the time we'd released the first album, I probably had about three or four, maybe five, um, tracks that I wanted that I had in mind that I wanted to record. Um, and I always like artists who always like, I don't know, feel it's almost like a need to sort of keep on recording. You know, they just like, it's like a, um, they can't sort of, uh, yeah, it's this sort of almost bodily need that as soon as they release something, it's this, it's not like you release something and you wait a couple of months. It's this constant period of, of composition. So, um, probably about, probably about five months after we released the first one, we just, we booked some space in a, in a sort of a friend's recording um, space in Hackney Wick. And we, we just spent like three days there just recording drums. We'd actually recorded for, I've done lots of, I did lots of home demos and we use a lot, actually that seems a lot of the record is, is a lot of, um, stuff that I recorded at home, which was a slight difference to the first one um, that I actually just started recording guitar parts and, and vocals and stuff like that at home. And then me and Dom would sort of meet, put some stuff together, get some sort of basic demos together. Um, so I suppose it was, which is maybe common in terms of second albums. It wasn't necessarily, um, it wasn't all played live. you know, it wasn't sort of worked out necessarily actually all live or with the band first it was actually a process sort of writing a composition doing some recordings myself and then bringing and then bring once it was recorded bringing it into the group and then we'd um start working on how we're going to do this live um so that was a sort of slight sort of difference and we basically went in i think we recorded the album's 12 tracks i think we recorded like 13 is one that we we didn't think would sort of was right for the record um so yeah, we, it was actually quite. It was quite a quick process from the end of the first album to the second one. But then, actually, since then it's been quite a long process to sort of get it out in terms of just getting everything mixed and just trying to find the right time. Really, um, yeah. So that's sort of roughly sort of timeline of you know how it sort of happened. But it was very much. It was a bit more of a um, recording stuff at home, putting those things together. And then we would sort of, because after pretty much as soon as we finished our first album, we basically got dropped by management. So as soon as that happened, we, um, that was almost like a galv, it was sort of a, a bit of a difficult time, but then quite a galvanizing time at the same, t- um, it was a galvanizing thing at the same time that, um, we thought, well, we've got to do something, you know, no one, 
no one you shouldn't need management to be making music so we just immediately thought well you know we've got to move on from this and we've got to start recording and the only way yeah the only thing you can do really as an artist is you play gigs and you and you record and that's sort of like a show of defiance that we were like well that's not going to stop us so we just immediately sort of thought let's get something down and let's reclaim our own identity and let's let's do stuff like let's book the space let's book the recording space let's do it ourselves let's record it at home let's do this stuff stuff. it's sort of weirdly quite freeing to do it so that's how it sort of came about we just sort of had it was sort of a weirdly from sort of being quite emotionally low because we were sort of got dropped by management to actually um actually getting to quite a good place where we just we felt that we reclaimed our sort of artistic identity once more and we were doing what we wanted and when we wanted is that the uh the a new joy that you're speaking of perhaps is the uh just you reclaiming that that spirit? yeah um, yeah i mean i think that's sort of um yeah it's it refers to a couple of things i think it was yeah again it's it's coming out of a a period where you f- you feel particularly low um and you start to see um things in a in a sort of a, a more positive way because obviously in the in as in a lot of uh, as in a lot of things in a lot of industries that the um things can bog you down and you and uh your perception of how things are going can really influence um your moods so heavily that actually you're you're not productive um and you think things are much worse and you take things more personally but um actually it came to this level of sort of a we realized that um i don't know that we had this control and we we actually we could be really happy because we were actually doing stuff for ourselves we weren't worrying about other people um we weren't worrying about other sort of people in the industry what they thought of us we were doing stuff that was actually we thought was really fulfilling um and like it sort of says in song there's the sense of like you know people are the the joy in sort of people is sort of and people's kindness is actually um a really uh, remarkably powerful thing that I think generosity of others and generosity in general, I think is the most, one of the most um, powerful things um, to observe, to, you know, and to be part of. Um, yeah. But it, it was coming out from a real sort of um, a real difficult time, both personally and for the band that we um, coming out from that and finding a new perspective um, and as I suppose a more um, level perspective on everything that is yeah that's supposed to what the the title refers to and uh now I, I remember last time we spoke you had mentioned that you guys are self-produced there's something very uh incredible about that to me to my ears because uh the production to me is of studio quality there's a sense of uh professionalism and sophistication and throughout the entire record it doesn't sound like a garage band at all there's uh where does that come from exactly that sense of professionalism and recording technique um well that that has to be all that all credit to that has to be given to dom who's our keyboard player um so he's the person who mixes everything um 
so without Dom, we'd really be nothing. Like we wouldn't be able to release anything. Um, you know, it, it's quite um, uh, to rec- yeah to record tracks and like and it's fair enough. People who are, who mix tracks are professionals, and you know they've trained to do that, and that's their income. Um, but we don't have you know, we don't have that type of, you know, we don't have that type of income at the moment. You know, I'm sure, you know, that there's definitely benefits to working with someone who's outside of the band. Um, but um, for us, what it actually, um, what Dom has is actually a really comprehensive understanding of, of our sort of sonic palette and who, you know, what we're going for. And like, it's almost like this little shortcut. So Dom would, you know, Dom has done so much sort of hard work on this record and Dom just has an amazing ear for, he's just got the most detailed ear of anyone. Like, um, I don't have that. I'm quite impatient really generally in terms of, um, like writing and mixing, uh, which, ha- which is, which has benefits as well, because I want to keep stuff not to, um, I want to keep it sort of instinctive. So I'm like, that's my first reaction. There's a reason I've written it like this because I, because I thought, that's what I'd want to listen to. Um, but yeah, I mean that just, everything just has to come from Dom and Dom sort of, you know, we've all sort of learned on the fly. We, you know, none of us, you know, like we said before, sort of particularly trained in this type of stuff. We've just sort of learned through experience and sort of often painful experiences of, um, you know, and making mistakes. So, um, but then me and Dom have this sort of shortcut where we talk about like maybe this drum sound or what, you know, this, this thing or like this, this sort of, do we need this sort of um, sequencer type of sound from this type of album? Um, so everything really has, has come from Dom because Dom sort of really educated me musically as well, just from his immense range of sort of like influences and his knowledge of music is something that I hadn't known before. And there was, you know, historically he will just know so much about a different type of music and the people who've played on those records and he'll just suddenly like whip out a song and be like, Oh, this, you know, maybe this type of, you know, feel would be the, the thing. Um, and then suddenly the, the, the song changes because um, I've heard this new song and I'm like, that is the most, I need to have something like that. Even if it's just like the clang of like, there's, um there's, a, there's sort of my favorite song, which Dom introduced me to is a song called Kebab Chwima which is um, by a band called DAF or um, uh, Deutsche Amerikanische Freundschaft, which is, um, yeah, and it's just, it's this brutal drum sound, but it's like, it's uh, mixed by a guy called Connie Plank, um, who's a very famous crowd rock producer, um, but there's this huge crowd vocal, um, and then like, this reverby sort of percussiony timbale type of stuff. So just from having that type of stuff, that's how we sort of learned um, and that, yes, yeah, the song will change, but everything sort of comes from that, from Dom's patience. Like he's a man of sort of pretty much infinite patience um, and sort of calmness, which is, um, yeah. So that's how we've sort of managed to do that. It's pretty cool. I was going to mention, uh, just to add to that question uh, and your response to it, how like you're the song guy you're you're the you're the main song you're the chief songwriter in artificial pleasure so and you do you just mentioned that uh you bring a lot of those demos to the table that you craft yourself and uh you mix yourself with that impatience you speak of so how 
how gradual, how different is that demo uh, quality of those tracks? How different, how different does the song become from that stage to the final product? Is there a very uh, strong difference as far as the songwriting goes when it, from that initial demo form to the final version, or does it mostly stay the same as far as arrangements go? Um, I'd say if I'm honest, a lot of time the stuff I bring in is, is quite a mm, more finished version of the song arrangement wise. Um, that, yeah, generally that's what it is. There'll be some moments where I'm like, um, I have this gap in the song where I feel like I know, I don't almost don't know the notes. I know what the feel is. I know it needs to sort of, um, suddenly cut to this sort of tight bit with this sort of unison bit between bass and guitar. Um, and then I, then I need to make sure it gets to this bit as well. So, um, for example, like, yeah, in like, not, like never before, you know, we, there's a break section where I was like, it sort of needs to have this bah, 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 bah. And then after that, I didn't know really where it was going to go. Um, and then, but I knew there was a bit where I wanted to sort of build up back into the riff. So that was sort of something where like Dom came in and he was like, or oh, maybe this, you know, and we would just mess about, even when you play with someone, um, and they play something and then you just go, you then come up with an idea bouncing off what they've just come up with. Even if it's actually different notes to what they've come up with, you sort of, what they did inspired you to go in one direction. Um, but the vast majority of the time, a lot of songs come in and they're pretty, um, arrangements wise, they're pretty there. Polish wise, I sort of, um, I try and, yeah, that's, that's my, that's what I really enjoy is that sort of crafting, um, is crafting those arrangements and crafting, you know, I write sort of, I try and it's not, it's never just a guitar part. It's like, I never really think in just guitar parts. I rarely, if ever just think about, think about guitar parts. I'm often thinking the bass line, um, first, but then I always like the sort of, from being so influenced by sort of talking heads and those things where it's like this interplay between, um, a range of in, instruments and this sort of, um, uh, it's the sort of rhythm that there's something very steady and then something jumping out and sort of jutting out whilst the bass and drums are sort of remaining sort of um, pretty straight and repetitive whilst uh, then you've got the, the guitar can sort of cut in at a sort of counterpoint rhythm and then the um, the keys can sort of um, add another quality like you put a pad on top of like a solid groove you know you, you can then suddenly change it into one section which has the same bass line and uh, guitar part can feel very different. Um, but actually I quite enjoy going to sort of going a bit over top. I, I, I write lots of different instrument parts um, at the same time. So a lot of times it stays, it stays the same, but um, it always, it always gets better with, with the other guys, particularly just in terms of their actual musical ability to, to, if I can just, you know, I describe a fill and then Lee will just go, okay. And he'll do it. Like he'll just improvise something. It's like, that's much, much better than what I was like. You know, when you try and do like drums, like, you know, sing drums at, at a drummer, it's, it really, it really sounds so bad when you try and do that. Cause you, you just, you're using such sort of infantile type of language. You're like, boom, boom, bah, you know, could it be a bit more kick out? And then, um, he's like, 
I have no idea really what that means, but I'll do something really, I'll do, I'll have a go at something there. Um, so yeah, so that's roughly our sort of, um, <laughs> our, um, our songwriting <laughs> experience for this last album. I love it. And I can really, one thing that really struck me with this record is how, uh, and I don't know if it's just because my experience with the lead up to the first record was a little bit different in that there was already a few singles already uh, already released before the record came out. There was a couple of EPs, about four EPs, I believe, for that record. This was a little different in that, uh, more traditional, I guess you could say, in that there was a couple singles. They didn't have any B-sides or anything like that. They weren't released as EPs. Uh, so there was a lot that I hadn't heard prior to the record release. You hadn't even released a, uh, a track listing prior to the album coming out. Right. So the album just came out fully formed for me uh where the first time i heard most of these tracks were in the album format yeah and to me that made all the difference because uh not only can i tell that um this is a very cohesive piece of work not to say that the first record wasn't but to me there's a very unified sense uh to to my listening uh when i hear this record it feels very much like my favorite albums of all time which to me take you on that journey that album journey the sequencing is very crucial, very important. Um, I wouldn't, Gotta Move On to me is one of my favorite songs and I wouldn't move it anywhere else on the record. That sounds like a fi- a perfect final track. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, it's, um, yeah, it's nice to hear that because, um, uh, yeah, I feel like it's it's this, it's got something about it that feels like quite final, quite strangely, like it's the mo- it's sort of like a big sort of blowout at the end. Um, yeah, so it's, it's sort of, um yeah nice to hear that that yeah it i feel it feels more sort of i think it feels more um consistent for us because the recording process was in weirdly more consistent like we've not done that thing yet where we just go in into a studio like for for a week and record an album you know all together all the parts but this had it was consistent in the way that like all the guitar parts like i just recorded at home um, we did the drums all in the same type of sessions. Um, and yeah, like the vocals were in the same place. And then we sort of used similar sort of, sort of quite similar, uh, key sounds and stuff like that. So, you know, just certain things that sort of tied it together weirdly, you know, it wasn't actually us recording at the same time, but I was using the same guitar, the same, um, yeah, I was recording it in the same way. And then we actually reamped all the guitars anyway, which used like, and that should be used the, the same amp for all of the uh, reamping of guitars, which is, you know, which is another way to get around costs. You basically record stuff on a computer and then what you do to make it actually sound like actually put it through, you then put it from the computer, actually put it back through an amp. So actually, and you record what comes out of the amp. Um so we've managed to sort of we've essentially like beg borrowed and sort of steeled our way to sort of like like to to get to to get to this album where we're like um somehow we're sort of fudged together by just sort of calling favors and um yeah and sort of doing it sort of like at home using what we had um and we've managed to sort of get it together but weirdly yeah it's hopefully more consistent because it's um i think written in a smaller period of time and also those recording techniques yeah, I, um, if you don't mind me, I'm just going to mention a couple of my f- personal favorite tracks on this record. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'll start off with 
the song I just mentioned, the uh, closing track, Gotta Move On. Mm-hmm. That song, uh, I love it personally because I feel like you're also taking a more experimental approach to your vocal on that song in yeah. particular. There's something uh, nerve-wracking. You mentioned that tension you like to include in all of your music, and I mm-hmm. think that it's definitely evident on that track. Yeah. Uh, that's a standout for me. There's something about that song. It just all the sounds, the atmosphere, it's definitely a headphone I mean, the whole record to me is a headphone record, but that track in particular sticks out for me. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so it's still, I think for that sort of vocal, it was, um, yeah, again, it's just trying to think, what, just doing something different because sometimes your your work actually gets informed by um, the equipment that's available to you. So, like in the background of that, there's like because it's like a spoken low vocal sort of and. Um, there's i got like a vocal effects pedal which which has um there's a setting on it called um i think it's called like another brick so it's like you know it's it's the another brick in the wall type of emulation thing where you like you have like a low vocal with like almost like school kid like breathy sort of school kid like an octave up sound effect on it um so yeah it's but i thought it's quite a sinister sound in that way that um if I was a low hushed vocal with this sort of high vocal on top, which came from just to having that piece of equipment that sort of um, just had this sound that sounded just, again, you know, we've talked about before that sort of like detachment, you know, that, that, or that sort of like, you know, that was, you said something about, you know, something that's sort of like life in the machine or something like that, you know, that type of slight detachment I find really, um, really, really, um, interesting but there's um there's a there's a great track by um john grant called um snug slacks um but like i'm a massive john grant fan um but he i mean he's got an amazing speaking voice um but that was just this sort of like slightly sort of almost it's got a slightly sort of similar it's quite like um sort of dirty type of like slower um groove with this sort of spoken vocal over the top. Um, but, you know, sometimes you get those sort of funkadelic records and they've got that sort of slight weird um, vocal effect on them. Either like they've got the lower octave on or they've got the higher octave, or maybe it's actually just two people singing, you know, at higher and lower octaves. But um, yeah, that was a, that sort of vocal thing came from actually just a bit, a bit of equipment and playing with a bit of equipment. So you're telling me that uh, that that vocal uh, effect applied onto that track on your voice is directly like taken from or inspired by the uh, the vocal effect on another brick in the wall. Hence the yeah. name of it. Yeah, we, wow. when you buy, when you buy this when you buy this um, vocal multi effects pedal, it just has a, it has one of their like setting number three is like yeah called like another brick. So it's this it's. Um, it's but it's so it's one of those ones that just comes with it when and it's just when you hear it you're just like oh yeah that sounds really quite um yeah a little bit sinister but i like that sort of like you know have this sort of real funk groove but this sort of sinister stuff um on top but it yeah it's something that just comes with it so you know i didn't do much with it but it was, that's what it that's what that um equipment comes with yeah it sounds to me like you just used it to your advantage and played around with it and made something very uh, neat out of it, in my opinion. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a song on here that reminds me a lot of 
the kind of material you're writing for uh, when you guys were known as formerly known as Night Engine. Yep. There's a track to my ears, at least. There's a track that's very power poppy. It's called "Running Out of Time." It's track ten. Oh yeah. Uh, very. Um, there's a sense of um, pure enjoyment out of that track. It's very, very uh, hooky. Very, uh, very pleasant as far as the melody goes. Uh, that's <laughs> probably my other favorite track on that record. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, yeah, I like the one. I remember, yeah, I remember writing that. I think that was just like with an acoustic guitar. I was just sort of um, I can't remember where I was, but I remember just sort of doing that, just strumming a sort of a G chord, and I was like, well, you know, that's it's so, it's so simple, as well, and that's why, that's why I like, you know, when you find something and be like, this is really um, this is so simple, but it's so incredibly enjoyable. I mean, that's why. I mean, a lot of stuff that I, I write, I'm like, this is in, this feels very simple, um, but that simplicity is what I like, and I really, uh, yeah, I sort of connect with something that's just it can a lot of I can I think I'm good at just writing riffs with sort of two chords for a long time, um, like uh, like I really love Eels, you know that band because I think I mean at least their first. I mean, I sort of dropped off after about the first, after the fourth album, after about Soul Jacker, but like what he does with basically the same chord structure um, or just a very similar groups of notes, he he manages to just find this sort of variation within it um, that I really enjoy. Um, yeah, and it's one of those things like, I don't know, sometimes you, I just, maybe you think you over, overthink stuff and you're like, actually, maybe it can just be two two notes and and a sort of a a phrase that we all know um so yeah i just really yeah i just really enjoyed it and then at the end again that's the thing of like that's one in terms of arrangement actually that's one that that didn't come in like with that end section that sort of outro just sort of i took we i went to dom and when i was like i want it to happen in we're gonna we're gonna move from this chord and then go to this chord and then we're gonna open up at this chord um, like get to an A and then who knows where it's going to go and then it basically needs to go to the end. So me and Don would just work on stuff. Um, so in that way, that was quite nice because that outro was just completely, um, uh, it just feels it was, I went in one day without it and then we, me and Don by the end of the day had come up with this section and then I liked the fact that it just sort of keeps on speeding up and... Yeah, and it feels like a bit of a release, you know, towards the end. And that's the type of stuff we really enjoy. You know, it's one we haven't even had a chance to play live, but that's the type of stuff we used to do when we um, live. We used to really enjoy was just opening up a section and just going for it. And that's the bit that people used to really react to, you know? So a little bit of improv in there, like during the show, like in the moment. Yeah, that's what we used to like. I mean, we'd be really rehearsed, so like... um, yeah, we'd be really rehearsed, so we'd like we'd know what we were doing, and sometimes there'd be occasional points where we're like, we're just going to keep on going for a bit, you know, which is um, uh, yeah, which is tough. Sometimes you just have to try and get everyone's attention, and you do a little gesture, and you're like, we're just going to keep on going, keep on going. Um, but the improvisation was just sort of in when we me and Dom recorded it, we just sort of like, uh, let's do this. I'm going to keep on going. Let's go, and then we'll keep the drums going, and then. And we'll basically we'll improvise it, and then we'll we'll 
we'll structure it afterwards. We'll just keep on doing this. And then I would sort of take something away and I'd come back in maybe the next day and be like, oh, maybe we're going to add this vocal, um, this sort of, you know, this sort of weird Yelpy vocal. I'd be like, that'd be nice there. Um, uh, yes, that's sort of how that came apart. It's just sort of like playing about, didn't know where it was going. I'd take some stuff away and then come back with it. And then Don would add, you know, in his own time, would be thinking, I'm going to add this over the top. Um, you know, and it's nice when you when you give Dom free reign to be like, you know, synth sounds just um just do what do anything like you just need to make some noise, like and feel completely free to make any type of noise, um, and he'll always come up with something that's um yeah really um makes you grit your teeth in that type of you know excitement almost a bit like um you know like having like a shot of tequila or something like that which is like it's like it gets on that border of like oh god that's sort of horrible but then it's like it's sort of you actually once you get to the end of it you're like absolutely sort of like gritting it sort of shouting you know sort of like like enjoying it so much um so yeah <laughs> which is um yeah not sure that's the best description i've ever made of a song um but yeah that sort of that's how <laughs> that song came about no, I love it. I think it showcases exactly what I'm hearing, which is there's a lot of fun being had, uh, and the musicianship is immaculate as as ever. Which is, to me is uh, one of my the things that I'm fond of of the mm-hmm. band is the musicianship for me is key to that. I think the it's always very compact, very tight uh, knit, but at the same time, there's like you said, there's this room to breathe. At the same time, when you listen to these songs, you could tell like very well written, very uh, tightly structured, but there's still, you can still hear that, um, that looseness yeah. in the performances. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks man. That's, that's sort of what we always wanted to, to have in there. So it's nice that that actually comes across to people. Absolutely. And uh, another favorite track of mine on this record, it kind of goes on the other end of the spectrum that with uh, um, running out of time being a little bit more on the, uh, happier side of scale at least to my ears i when i heard this song track six track six i don't need your love that song to me is uh probably one of the more intense tracks on the record as far as your vocal is especially on the chorus yeah yeah um and that was the bit that well i think i just wrote the chorus first that was sort of i think um and i just put and i just imagined this sort of the, the melody to that to that chorus and so I was sort of attached to that and then I sort of wrote everything around that um and wrote the narrative around that I just sort of there's just a really nice um there's sort of a although it's not really a technique but there's um there's a guitarist who um called Francis Rossi and um like he's a guitarist in a band called Status Quo which my uncle's in so he's like I so my uncle showed me this way of playing a certain chord playing a G which meant which just made it sound really open um and like really um you'd play the G and even though it's technically like a G minor like you have you would have no idea you don't there's there's a like the um the B flat is missing which that's the, that's a note that's going to make it seem like it's a it's a minor so the way this guy plays it just it takes it out of that so you don't know whether that's going to be it's a major or minor and it's a super open sort of rings out and then, and then when you move down, and then you move from the G to F, and then you have a G ringing out. You know, when it sort of creates this sort of nice tension where you've got this sort of um, when you've got an when you're F when you've got an F going on, and there's a G at the top, which is like 
um, I don't know, a second or like a ninth, some of that. It's a sort of, it's a nice sort of attention. So I suppose what I wanted to do in the um, the vocal was have that type of intent. Um, yeah, and it, it just, it came completely just from that chorus and I sort of wrote everything. Um, those are my starting notes, just those two notes. And then I sort of, like with a lot of stuff, it's just you have a bit and then you work backwards and you work forwards and you you try and you try and treat it like a listener where you go uh i'd like the song to go here i'd like this type of section you know in that song that has like my favorite section where it's like musically was one of my favorite sections where it does that sort of um i sort of like to think of it almost as like a a clockwork orange s sort of like um wendy carlos sort of moog sort of um break you know, where it sort of uh, goes into more slight, almost like a classical section and then goes into a really, really, um, really distorted guitar solo. Um, but that's, yeah, that's what, in terms of musically, that sort of section is probably from the, from that breakdown to the, to the end of the solo is probably my most favorite. That's my, my favorite sort of piece of composition I've pretty much ever done. Cause it sort of, it actually was the most, uh, it verbalized pretty much exactly what I wanted, regardless of whether people like it or not. It's like it, you know, sometimes you, you're trying to aim for something. And that was actually that in my mind, that's actually what I was absolutely aiming for was that, that type of section, that type of feel and that type of solo. So um, that bit I find very, for me, I find it very satisfying. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites. And uh, I'll mention uh, as my last uh, favorite song here as far as like personally just one that really uh, hits me I have to ask about Boys Grow Up uh, where did the uh, guest vocal come in uh, it's pronounced her, her name's pronounced Jilda yeah yeah perfect okay yeah she's uh, got a fantastic voice I have to yeah. say and uh, it comes kind of as a surprise and sort of like a slant on the record just because uh, it's the first time that you guys have collaborated with a guest yeah. vocalist correct yeah it is so um we met we met Gilda in we were playing a show in Berlin, I think about God, that was about three years ago. She was just at a gig and then um she was at the gig and she was like at the front sort of dancing and then um because we had a we had a friend there and she knew Gilda and then we found out Gilda was then moving to London. So then we sort of got to know Gilda when she she moved to London. Um and her solo stuff's amazing, like She's uh she's uh German but she trained sort of in opera um and then but then she sort of used that and then goes into more um yeah experimental electronic stuff like she also has the backing vocals to lose myself again there's a really extraordinarily high vocal in lose myself again towards the end um and that's her so she sort of does guesting on that um yeah, but we just sort of kept in touch. We'd see each other at sort of parties. And then I think I was looking for someone with that type of voice, really. Just someone who I knew had a really, um, who was immensely vocally expressive. Um, and actually was, she, you know, because she can, she can do those super high um, operatic bits. And then she actually can do the real sort of low, sort of sultry stuff. And then she... But she just uses her voice actually in a really, in just she's just very dynamic, which is which is really nice to work with. That she isn't afraid to sort of 
do those bits higher or lower or to sort of yelp at stuff. Um, and that, I felt like that's what I really sort of connected with. And we'd sort of know each other for a little bit. And then I was like, well, do you want to come and like, I've got this song, would you be interested to do this? And it just, when, as soon as she came on it, like um, everything sort of melded together. Like she, yeah, it was just, it, it, it suddenly felt right. Even though we just recorded it in my like, living room at home, um, and she just came over and we just did that. And then as soon as we, um, as soon as she did the first take, like Dom was recording and we were just in the same room, we we're just like, yeah, this really, this really, really works. Um, yeah. And her solo stuff is just great. Like, again, it's just what I like, like saying like vocally and her being sort of immensely sort of the diversity of her, her voice and being really expressive is that, she takes a chance I, you know live she sort of puts herself out there it's just her performing it's just her dancing um but musically as well she does doesn't do just she doesn't do the same thing over and over she sort of always pushed herself and some of her stuff is really quite out there in terms of the electronic world um so it's just really refreshing to work with an artist who also is just immensely nice and immensely generous and immensely up for just work just giving stuff a go um and that's that gives us that gave us i don't know that just made it a lot easier um to collaborate with because she was just she's just a dream to work because she was just so open and free and willing to try stuff and if you say just go crazy at this bit she'll do it which is um which is just a really nice quality to have yeah, to me, that's a definite highlight. Uh, and were you open to working with her again, collaborating on something else in the, in the uh, future? Oh yeah, always. I mean, yeah, we're always sort of in contact. And then, um, yeah, but she she sings backing vocals on Running Out of Time. She's on Lose Myself Again. Um, like she's in the back. She's do, does the backing vocals for those. Um, yeah, I mean, always with her. But she, you know, but her solo stuff is so good as well. Um, so I think, I think people should check out her stuff because I think, um, um, yeah, like um, like Torrential River and that that EP that that one's on, um, all of that is is just really great. I don't really get why she's not bigger than she is. Um, like she's sort of a cut above a lot of people. So, but definitely, yeah. I mean, we're always in contact. So I'm sure there'll be a time in the future where something else sort of comes together where we work we work together again yeah it's it's a big mystery for me personally how um but i've just just the way my ear has been educated uh since birth really um it's just crazy but some of the greatest music out there ends up being more of a cult thing uh very almost like a very uh like a a big secret uh that shouldn't exist because to me um i take great pleasure in people uh you know understanding and appreciating just quality music so it baffles me sometimes when uh that isn't exactly when these bands and these artists aren't that should be noted aren't noted uh it can be a little aggravating for me to be honest with you just because i'm such a champion for those artists Mm. those kinds of artists so but at the same time i'm a little selfish and i say well (laughs) then you know more for me so i'll I'll take it then you know i'll appreciate this the way it should be yeah 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 and i know yeah i know you mean i mean I think so much of it is always going to be luck um, artist wise and it's going to be people spotted at the right time by the right people. They fit into, yeah, sometimes they fit into the 
what's needed at that time. It's a particular song that works at that time. Um, yeah, I don't know, and I don't know. I don't know the rules, and I can't. You know that type of stuff. You can, as a musician, you can get very much in your head about that type of stuff, and it can get you down because you, you know, if you feel like you're doing good stuff, and then, um, but you just, in some ways, you just got to know it's not, it's not about you. It's, you know, it's a, it's a very like the industry part of music is very strange and is slightly detached from the actual pure art form of it. Um, so yeah, but I know what you mean. Sometimes I have people, I'm like there's this unknown band that I'm really into. And then I like you, I'm like, I want to, I want to spread it to people. Um, but then sometimes, yeah, if someone doesn't get it, I'm like, well, you're wrong. So, you know, I'm quite happy to, you know, I'll stick with them, you know, and you'll realize in time. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just one of those things when you can get in. Yeah. You can very much easily as a musician, get into your own head about it. And yeah, it's, it it is what it is. You can't, you know, in some parts are in your control, and some parts won't necessarily be in your control. So um, the only thing you can do, you know, if it gets in too into your head where you can't create music, then that's that's a bad point. But like, as long as you can still create music and music that you're happy with, I think what I'm realizing more and more is you just need to do stuff that you um, stand behind. You know, you shouldn't release anything that you don't stand behind anymore. Even if it's, even if it's stuff that's almost like career suicide. If you're gonna, if that's what it is, but you wholeheartedly stand behind it, then, um, then you've got to do it. Like I think the the I think people actually really connect to people sticking their necks out there. Uh, you know, that's what I think people really connect with now. Yeah, I mean, I can hear the honesty in your songwriting and in the music of uh, artificial pleasure which to me is part of the reason why i love you guys and your music is because of that honesty is uh it's very transparent when you listen to it and uh you know even when an artist sticks to their guns and makes that left field record that you're not expecting because you're expecting them to just stay in that niche that yeah. sound that you grew familiar with in the first place i can tell when that evolution is necessarily a genuine versus not being yeah. genuine there's a, something about i like artists that take those weird those odd twists and turns in their career and make that record that you weren't expecting but yeah i love it even more so when it's an album of pure intent you know it was coming from the heart yeah yeah i, and I like those um i like when you look back over an artist's career and be like oh that was the album they did where they did this you know like and they uh and he changed this and he started working in this way or that's the electronic album or that's the the um i quite like that being able to talk about artists in that way with like okay there's a range there and it's like that's what they were feeling at that time and they responded to what there was at the time um and I, yeah that's only what i can hope for sort of the future i suppose you know that at some point you know we we can at least as a band we can look back a bit like that was when we did when we did this we were you know, we can look back at that thinking we're we're happy with it and that we were in that was the place we were in at that time. And then we moved on to another place and then we're equally happy with those and they're both testaments to what we were thinking at that time. Right. And I've been meaning to ask, are you someone uh, as as a lyricist, are you somebody who likes to keep your cards close to your chest? Or are you someone who is very open about uh your lyrical form and 
your prowess and exactly what you're writing about? Uh, I think I'm relatively sort of open about them. I rarely sort of get asked about lyrics because that's the bit I find the hardest out of all of them. Um, Because I think a lot for me, like vocally, um, I don't, it's not, I don't attach importance to, to lyrics. I just, the vocal delivery is all as much a part for me as like the, the drum part, you know, I'm like, it's this sort of, um, it should be an equal part of everything. You know, I, I, I want it to be like a tech, sometimes I just want it to be a texture, you know, um, but I'm pretty open to sort of, yeah, lyrics and stuff and talking about lyrics and stuff like that. But it's just, I don't really sort of not, yeah, I don't really, I haven't really talked about them much before, but um, yeah, but that's, that's, I'm very happy to talk about them whenever I'm, they're not, to me that, you know, I'm not really particularly close about them. They're not something that has, there's not that much mystery to them, to me. Okay. Are, are they, are they coming, if you don't mind me asking, are they coming from a personal place or is it just observations, uh, your own observations on life or um, exactly where, what, where does the inspiration come from? Um, it, it varies. I mean, a lot of the songs will be like lose myself again will be sort of, you know, in it's, I, I, I want to keep them, it's trying to keep them personal, some songs personal and also general at the same time where you um, lose himself again is sort of like about your, about the capacity when you're in sort of, when sort of in the depths of depression, how that can sort of consume you and define you and sort of, and it's a, it's a fear of when you have a good day that um, uh, it's just a little blip, that a good day was just a blip and it's going the next day you're going to go back to normal where you're and your, your, your neutral state is your, you know, is your, it's this sort of low point, this sort of depressed point. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I mean, I suppose it's just trying to think of, it's almost like it's trying to almost temporarily have like an alter ego or imagine stuff like, you know, into your known is sort of like thinking about like, you know, um, Ripley and like in, in aliens, that, you know, that type of, sort of perspective of the terrified sort of knowledge of going into something that you you you've been into before and you're you know that you know is is horrific um and that sort of absolute fear of going into something um i mean it's a lot of it a lot of those things a lot of those lyrics will come from uh improvised little bits that when i'm writing them um that that's sort of where they'll come from obviously new joy is quite sort of openly sort of about sort of personal sort of experience but obviously like everyone else's experiences um uh of, go- of going through real hard of going through hardship and then coming out and and finding a perspective and maybe that's something that we need you know at the moment it's sort of strange even though we named it that quite a long time ago um now seems to um be sort of quite relevant um but yeah for for me it's it's i don't necessarily try and write sort of that many like autobiographical things but i just like just trying to create a sort of an essence of what i'm feeling at that moment like like i mean boys grow up is a is a big one where you know i'm trying to talk about an issue which is 
I think is is important to talk to. And there's other bands who talk about that type of stuff, which like Idols do a song called Samaritans, um, and it's trying to talk about those type of stuff. So that's something about like it's it's sort of I'm trying to occasionally talk about experiences and sort of beliefs I have, but in in maybe a slightly distant way. But I'm um, yeah, like boys grow up because like I I sort of there's a it's a charity who have sort of um, called the um, Great Men or Good um, Good Good Lad Initiative, and they go into schools and they talk about to boys about um, male mental health, um, gender inequality, just gender identity, sexuality, and things like that. Um, that's just really inspiring um, when I when I when I thought about that song. You know that so that sort of came from like personal sort of beliefs, but not. I mean, yeah, like stuff like yeah. I'm trying to think what what anything that sort of stuff that comes from real sort of close personal experience. But I think I think I like to slightly distance myself. But it's those things that I believe in, and that I'm just trying to find a slightly um, I don't know, slightly distance myself narrative wise, but then talk about the sentiment of it in the song so maybe it's sometimes i'm playing a character you know and like what's the point in trying has you know has a different sort of sort of a different character in it um but then yeah but it's still trying to talk about um stuff that i'm sort of things that are going on in my head i think it speaks volumes that you uh reference ripley from the aliens films yeah well, it's um, yeah, I think, and it's that that the soundtrack to Aliens is um, I think it's James Horner. I think did that soundtrack, and then um, for for, for Aliens, the uh, James Cameron film, correct? Yeah, yeah, for the second yeah. one. So I think it's James yeah. Horner, and then um, yeah, that's yeah, that sort of Ripley's sort of journey. I think is um, yeah, it's terrifying enough, you know, from the, from the first. I mean, it's the most sort of. I mean, Alien is probably in the one of the best films probably I mean it's, yeah it's one of those films that is one probably one of the best films probably ever made and design wise and um, conceptually it's such a clever thing to just move a horror story into into space which is even like an or more unknown um, desolate constant darkness um, is as a plot is just really even more sinister and really, yeah, it just really, really works. And then, yeah, her sort of journey, but then, yeah. And then the um, musical journey of that song of Intian known is very much like the soundtrack to um, uh, aliens that, you know, those James Horner sort of droning sort of slight sort of um, almost like pluck sort of, violin strings that are sort of aren't necessarily they don't there's not necessarily it didn't feel like there's a tune there it's sort of this like dissonance um yeah so that's why um yeah something about that and that like we talked about before that sort of tension part um there was something in that which is just which i suppose is in those film and those compositions is this never-ending type of tension um there's never really a relaxed moment in any of that, you know? Right. And are you a big sci-fi uh, film fanatic or? Not really. I mean, um, no, not really. I, I, I didn't, 
trying to think of any apart from like that and that, you know, I haven't even seen like having like I read like um Solaris um recently but I've not even seen the um the film I've sort of I've probably read more sort of I suppose they're more dystopian but sort of you haven't really read much sort of sci-fi either so yeah it's, it's strange that it's strange that I not really watched that much sci-fi and my band's called artificial pleasure and I've written a song about um Ripley from aliens so um yeah I could never profess to be like actually um massively into sci-fi got it and uh you were speaking earlier about how your vocal performance is a major part a major uh a big deal for you basically is what i'm trying to say Mm. i hear a huge growth here uh, on this record with your vocals in particular your performances i feel like you're you're talking uh last time we spoke you were speaking about how you're always trying to uh go to that limit and trying to yeah. break it or seeing what you can do within going towards that limit that you, that you trying to break the glass ceiling yeah. in a way. And yeah, I can yeah. hear that a lot on this record with your vocals. Yeah. I think like, um, yeah, I've, I, I've tried to realize that, that, yeah, there can be a range in those that I can sort of, I can, uh trying to find a place for it to go you know go to so not just making sure that i don't start every single vocal sort of at, at um you know at 100 miles an hour that i'm like i'm trying to build up to something so um yeah and like we've got to move on those those things of like some lower sort of spoken vocals um to make sure that actually when i go into the next section where it's a bit more frantic that transition is um maybe more exciting you know it's a it's a it's a bigger difference um but also yeah it's trying to sort of make sure that i i still find those bits where i can if i want to i can still go really for those high notes and then i can sort of hold back a bit um yeah but it's something that i feel like it could even do even more you know i realize that maybe you know it's tough sometimes we listen back to your stuff and like have i gone too much for like the you know like the hairdryer sort of treatment, you know, for like in terms of, you know, into my vocal delivery, you know, am I always just like the, the hairdryer, you know, in front of your face, you know, just like blurting out um, and sort of like, you know, sort of, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, I don't know. I think, it, I think I just like to hope, hopefully think that there's still going to be a, even more sort of, places for it to go and maybe probably place I need to store now is like a lower range um uh so when I get to that high range that you know that's the sort of that's the real you know that's the thing you sell tickets for but um just trying to see what sort of warmth or what sort of exciting parts there are in the lower range so is that something you're going to just continuously experiment with just where your voice can go yeah, I think so. There's always those things that, you know, I always, um, like, you know, I've had a couple of lessons with a singing teacher and the, the freedom that that person gives you, um, where my range is like, from from the album, like my range is actually quite, um, like a good bit higher than it was. Like I'm sort of, I can go a lot higher than I used to, um, even on this album. Um, so, yeah, since we it's exciting, but then I've also worked on um, lower range with that person, um, 
I just, yeah, I, I think it's, it's that you just want to use, I just wonder whether I want to use my voice as a, an experimental sort of instrument where I can sort of, um, I can do those yelps at the sort of high bit. I can do the really high bits, but then I can really go lower and then I can sort of try and find those growls and those types of bit. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's really satisfying when you do it, when you find a note that you hadn't, like, you didn't think you could do before, you didn't, or a sound you can do before. It's, um, yeah, it's a weird, actually with like, with singing, because it's such a, a physical, it's such a physical thing and it's such a personal thing to, to you that actually when you find those things, it feels really, it's so satisfying it feels like you like you genuinely smile when you when you feel like you hit a note that you or you hit a certain note in a way you hadn't done before it's genuinely quite um it yeah i don't know if you ever have it where you have something you you i don't know you do something and then you sort of um smile almost like a giggle because you do you it felt really nice and really easy and it like or just you hadn't thought about it in that way or something just Oh, that something became easier for that one moment. That one, that one adjustment made it sort of really um, much easier. So, but who knows? There's a lot, you know. I think there's a lot to go in um, range-wise. I think there's. Uh, I, I'm hopefully, you know, with enough work, I can just keep going and getting better and a bit higher. And yeah, and then, but then you also learn how to find those highs and lows. Um, so hopefully, I think there's still. I think there's still life in it still yeah uh and i was gonna ask you you mentioned earlier if you um how things would be a little bit different if you could have a an outside ear in the room is there a if you could pick any producer that you would like to collaborate (laughs) with no matter what is there somebody on your list that you would like to work with just in your head even uh trying to think of like my my favorite records i mean Everyone will probably say like Eno or something like that, because um, I think he'd probably want you to take. You know, he does those what's those oblique cards. You know, those things that like make you uh, take it in a different direction. You know that um, that would probably be the cliche. But like um, other people, like other producers. I mean, sonically, there's people like. Um, Connie Plank, who did a lot of those sort of um, crap rock sort of like, I think he did a lot of Noi records and stuff like that. Um, uh, I always wonder, do you know, there's a guy called Tanetta. Do you know Tanetta, Max? I don't. Who, um, who's uh, Tanetta associated with? Well, he, but he's, he's a solo artist, but I think he, I think he just mixes his own stuff. Um, I don't think there's any stuff on Spotify and any any stuff like that, but he's, um, I think he's only on YouTube. I don't know if he might be on Bandcamp actually, but like, but he's just sort of, you know, he's, he's been around for a couple of years now. Like he's sort of this, um, I'm not sure. God, I don't know if he's, I think he's Canadian. Um, um, but he just produces everything at home and it's just, some of it's just absolute filth. Like, but like his production is just, it's just so lo-fi and it's so, um, uh, yeah, it's so. I don't know. It's just so not. It's it's not typical because it's not clean. It's just it's him at home doing a drum machine and guitars, and his videos are him at home. Um, 
I mean, there's a cliche that there's a guy called, um, actually he's worked with a lot of big people now, a guy called Gabriel Roth, um, who he did a really, someone showed me an article recently and it's, it's called like, um, it's called like, if I can swear, it's just called like, um, it's just called, it's just called shitty is pretty. And he does this like basically manifesto and he did it for this magazine. Uh, he used to produce a lot of old funk, like a funk 45s. Um, and he would, he was like, it's, it's a great manifesto, but like, you don't need this. You don't need this. Just shove this in front, just shove this old mic in front of this. Um, and he's like, basically the dirtier, the hor- the more horrible it is, the better. Like he'd like, you don't need, you don't need it to sound like this sort of, you don't need to spend all this money on shit. Just spend this amount and shove a mic in front of this old knackered amp or, or just get a get you get a drummer in a in like I don't know like a garage, and then um, record it from there. That's all you need. You don't you need two mics and that's it. Um, so yeah, maybe Gabriel Roth would be um, a good one. I mean, I think he sort of he, in interviews he then works on like um, strangely works in like um, uh, Back to Black, um, the Amy Winehouse record. Um, with Mark Ronson, so he's worked with him a lot. But um, it's really interesting if you look up like Gabriel Roth, like um, "Shitty is Pretty." Um, uh, it's really, it's really, it's a really fun, liberating read because it just feels like it's quite anti-elitist. It's basically saying you don't need all this like really expensive equipment. You don't need all, need all this. Just find the space to do it. Get these crappy microphones um, and record it. And then the crappier it sounds, the better, um, which would be, yeah, which I think would be quite fun to um, experiment with that, uh, considering we've gone to very, you know, we always try to be quite, um, con- you know, quite clean with our music um, production-wise and, you know, trying to get really well-produced. It would be interesting to do something that was um, deliberately, absolutely um, messy as hell. I'm a huge fan of Mark Ronson's work, so if he's associated with them, I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, man. I think you'd like it. It's like when he does YouTube talks, and but just like read the article he, he does. I can't remember. I can't remember what magazine it's in, but it's um, it's really immensely satisfying to sort of read, and yeah, I'd, I'd really recommend that. So, anybody else? Those are your uh, choices. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, here's a say, Yeah, Connie Plank would be sort of good. Um, who would be? I'm trying to think of other records that I'm like, yeah. Apart from Eno, um, yeah. I mean, I love the fact that Steve Albini was like, um, I mean, that In Utero album is just like, um, I mean, one of the roughest sounding things I've ever heard. Oh yeah. Um, um, yeah. And is it Steve Albini, is it him or I think Steve Albini, who just doesn't, he also says like, he doesn't take like producer points on it. He's like, you pay me. And then I don't take any credit for any of this. Like you just, you pay me once and then I'm not going to take any more money. I don't like. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Which is, um, it's quite, I mean, it's quite, I mean, that's an amazing, rare, amazingly rare thing to do. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's pluses and <laughs> minuses, um, to that um yeah in terms of um, yeah i'm trying to think of any other favorite records but nothing sort of springs to mind apart from those apart from those guys um at the moment i mean you could maybe have zappa you know 
record an album for you. I think that'd be exciting. But I think, I mean, I think he'd be quite a challenging person to to work with in that way, simply because he's so good and his ear is so good that um, he'd. Yeah, I think it'd be um, he wouldn't really um allow you to sort of get away with anything. Um, and he'd always be like, if it was absolute, if it's an absolute pile of crap, I think he would just tell you it was an absolute pile of crap. So I think um, he would be um, yeah, I think that would that'd be he'd be a difficult producer to work with. But I'm sure he would push you. I think that's the main thing you want really in terms of a producer who's either going to make you see it in a different way, um, or just um or push you, you know, who will know how to push your buttons into a new creative place. I think it's funny that most of the producers you mentioned on your uh, list, on your wish list were all outside of uh, that polished sound, like Steve Albini. And you mentioned Gabriel Ross's work, which is like very uh, unconventionally simplistic uh, and not polished. It's very just like, like you said, shitty is pretty, right? So I think, uh, I think that's pretty uh, interesting that you mentioned these producers that are more on the other end of that spectrum as far as like less polished is concerned. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, uh, yeah, sometimes it, it fits the music, you know, maybe, um, maybe, uh, I think what we do sort of fits, fits the music at the moment, but maybe, but maybe it would, you know, it would move in a, in a, in another direction, which would, you know, need a, a different approach. It's funny. I, I go on both ends of the production. Like all my favorite producers go on both ends of the, uh, both opposite ends of the spectrum. As far as I like guys like Trevor Horn, like Trevor Horn's one of my all time mm. favorite producers. Yeah. Man. Uh, you know, very extravagant, uh, his work with pet shop boys and, uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, you know, just great stuff. But, um, then there's, uh, you know, guys like I like guys like Rick Rubin, who yeah. uh, are just, like here's a microphone, um, here's some engineers, the top engineers, but I want a very stripped down, naked sound. Uh, I like guys like that too. So, yeah, it's it's like, it's, it's um, there's two sort of different approaches there. Where, yeah, like Trevor Horn, I think like when you see the or like when you hear like original verses of like um, Relax, you know, um, when Trevor Horn came in. I mean, he made it into that. He made that sound, and he sort of um, he completely transformed it into what it was. But obviously, he's you know he's heard something that's that he thought was basically a hit, and he but he's managed to find this new sound. But yeah, and then that Rick Rubin thing was like, take what you know, strip stuff, and I just want to hear what I'm hearing is what you know. This is not it's not pure, but just trying to find the right way of just. Again, it's like two people just trying to find who just really um, find their own way of, um, yeah, interpreting, you know, and but bold enough to be like to make a decision, you know. I think that's an exciting thing when you have a producer who um, makes a sonic decision either to strip it or to, to add arrangements and make it, you know, that sort of, you know, that Frankie, you know, it goes to Hollywood type of like, you know, that sort of almost like that massive like bow 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 i don't think it was um i might be wrong but i don't think that was in the i don't think that was in his um in the original you know no yeah i've heard several demos of that track uh prior to trevor horn's involvement with his uh record label Z, uh ztt and whatnot and uh it's very different as far as just 
those little embellishments that really turned it into that yeah. massive track that it became. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have to mention to you, there's, um, you mentioned that 13th track. Is that something that you're going to use in, uh, on another record or are you just going to scrap it entirely? Uh, I don't know. It's always there. I mean, it, it, it depends. Um, yeah, it could be something that we release. Um, we're just not sure. I don't, I won't want to say anything at this moment, Max, just in case. So, um, who knows? Who knows? So, uh, I'll leave that open. I don't know yet. All right. And I'll close out by asking you what, what's, I asked you this before, but the third album, is there already a, a, a vision that you have for the next record what you want to do or what you're striving for? Uh, not quite yet. I'm ho- maybe something will come, but I think because we only released the, the second one about four days ago. So I'm like, uh, I think I'm going to, and it's such a funny time, I'm going to hopefully wait for something just to sort of, um, yeah, I'm just going to keep listening and see where my, um, if there's something that my ear is now naturally sort of leaning towards, maybe stylistically, maybe it would just be an ambient album, you know, just an experiment, experimental ambient album. Maybe that's, that's, maybe that's what it will be. That's, but it will change from day to day. So at the moment, no, I have no idea what it will be. Um, um, but I hope it will be whatever happens. I hope it's, I hope it's never boring. I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, to me, this record, uh, in like, for, I mean, a new joy, uh, which was just released four days ago, like you mentioned, there's something just to me, it sounds so grand. It, it deserves to be played, uh, with a big light show set up. <laughs> there's something very cinematic about it. It also works as a headphone record. It works as a record that if you're a vinyl record purist, I feel like it would benefit if there was ever a vinyl record released for that. I know vinyl is still, uh, it had a renaissance a few years ago and still going strong. People love vinyl records. Um, and I think this is one of those records that would be beneficial to, being pressed on wax and I think it'd be incredible. And I mean, and I'm a CD guy still, I mean, to me, CD is still the best format just because it's a, it's a physical, but it's also a digital if you want it to be. And yeah. uh, you don't lose any, uh, any audio uh, yeah. in the processing of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to lend to people. Yeah. And a bit cheaper. Yeah. I don't know. There, I'm, I'm a purist. I love, I got to have a physical copy. So that's why it, uh, it pains me to hear a band that would really, really benefit from just making physical records, not having a physical record yet, but uh, I understand. And here's hoping that one day, uh, there will be some physical releases from artificial pleasure. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed, man. For the moment, not, but hopefully for the future. I'm just glad that you guys are on Bandcamp, though, because uh, you guys definitely deserve uh, to get paid for this record, in my view. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been it's been good. It's nice to to uh, be able to release it in its like ultimate format in terms digitally, anyway, with like the full you know high res files, and then um, yeah, to probably release it directly to fans. So, uh, any any last things you'd like to? Uh tell the audience your fans in general uh i don't know buy um buy the album um band camp fridays fantastic are you guys gonna have any um i get this is going back to the uh i guess the physical album thing but also um here's hoping for some merchandise some like shirts 
I'd yeah. love to wear an artificial pleasure shirt. Oh, thanks. Man. Well, we've now, I've actually got, um, me and my girlfriend purchased like a little screen printer thing. We might be able to actually do some from home, which might work. Um, but we need to try it. So it might, there might be some experimental t-shirts that I might be able to give out to people. Um, but yeah, but that's, that'll probably be the next step. I think is merch. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much, Phil. No worries, man. Well, thanks for being on the show and, uh, diving into this new record and new joy with us. And, uh, can't wait to hear what's next. Thanks, man. Thanks for chatting with me.